Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In this episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Stampede Canyon, the Smoke Wade Trilogy, written by Robert J. Hogan. Smoke Wade was riding to save a friend from hanging, and he was riding straight into a pack of blood-hungry outlaws. Stampede Canyon held all the natural beauty of the West, and all of its dangers. Sheer cliffs studded with silver rose straight to the sky on three sides, and the fourth was pitted with traps. Smoke Wade rode into the town at its heart to attend the wedding of his friend, Chaz Borman, but he stayed to save Borman's neck from a noose. Borman had been accused of helping outlaws raid silver from the canyon, and the riled miners were dead set for a necktie party. Wade's only hope was to track the real outlaws to their den and fight it out with lead. But Wade was riding alone, and he was facing some of the deadliest killers the West had ever known. Smoke Wade was a rough-and-tumble cowpoke who never came across a fight or a bet he was afraid to take on. He was thought by most to be just another pistolero for hire, but he always seemed to be on the side of justice when the powder smoke settled. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Stampede Canyon. Chapter 1 Smoke Wade reined his big pinto stallion and narrowed his eyes against the blazing sun to study the trail ahead into Stampede Canyon. Something was wrong. His friend, Chaz Borman, had written him that the trail into the canyon started here but the passage was apparently closed. Wade looked puzzled and a little worried. It wasn't like Borman to make mistakes. He pulled out the wedding invitation. On one side of the card was the conventional announcement. The honor of your presence is requested at the marriage of Miss Vera Ellen Mason to Mr. Charles Henry Borman on Wednesday the 21st. It told Wade nothing he didn't already know. Chaz Borman had enclosed a letter with the engraved invitation and to hell with etiquette. That, Smoke knew, was like Borman. In spite of the fact that he had gone to college, Chaz was an unconventional, unpredictable guy. Smoke read the last part of the letter again. If I'm not handy when you reach the canyon, Vera or Zach Zeeland, my boss, will take care of you till I show up. We want you kept healthy for best men, so watch out for trouble. Our mining company is up against it. Wells Fargo has refused the job of getting out our silver bullion. There's only the one trail out, and our mule trains have been repeatedly held up by a mysterious bunch of outlaws. They're bad hombres and I'm trying to track them down. The silver is piling up in storage at the mines in Little Doctor, and unless we can get it through to the banks, a lot of folks, including yours truly, the mining engineer, and my future wife will be broke. Smoke fingered the ominous note while he studied the canyon again. Maybe this was Chaz Borman's way of telling him he needed help. He gigged the stallion, saying, Let's go, Jake. This ought to be interesting, seeing where all these hold-ups have been. Sort of on the order of going over an old battleground like we took in last year up at the Little Bighorn. 
His mind went back to his boyhood when he'd grown up in the rugged southwest with Chaz Borman. They'd been close friends then, and still were, although they didn't see each other so often now. At the proper age for higher education, Chaz had gone east to study mine engineering and Smoke had ridden north to look for gold and adventure. Jake moved ahead at the touch of the spur. He single-footed into the tight twist of the narrow canyon trail and the jaws of the high canyon walls closed in. The big pinto stud spooked at the first pinnacle and Smoke stoked his lathered neck to calm him. This is no way to behave when we're going to a wedding. Not that I wouldn't spook some, too, if it was me getting double-hitched. Jake's alert black ears moved nervously. He bobbed his head and champed on the bit steel. The rock walls narrowed in the turn so that the trail appeared impassable just ahead. He looked down at the rushing water beside the trail. There, ten feet below, the Stampede River frothed white as it roared around the twist of the canyon neck. Jake spooked again and tossed up his head. Smoke's long, bronzed face was anxious as he raised his eyes to the steep canyon walls beyond the bend. The rock cliffs lowered vertically on either side until they seemed to bend inward where the evening stars showed thinly in the narrow strip of sky several hundred feet above. He wondered if something far up on either rim might have startled Jake. Suddenly, the stallion stopped abruptly and backed off. He sneezed the dust out of his nose, snorting his alarm. What ails you? Smoke searched the rock spires and pinnacles and the spare brush that might furnish hiding places for men in ambush, but saw nothing. So he touched Spur. Jake stood fast, trembling. Smoke touched Spur again. Let's be moving, he said. The powerful Pinto started reluctantly, dancing sideways like a circus horse. Stop your silly actions. This is a traveled road, not a horse trap. Everything in and out of Stampede Canyon goes this way. Suddenly, Jake put his head down and broke into a wild run. He shied from the next spire overhanging the trail, hunched his hind quarters, and ran with mane and tail flying. Smoke let him have his head. He rode low with the easy, swift motion of the great beasts. He said, You want to run? Dog on you, run. They made another sharp bend. At a shrill sound, Jake reared back to a stop. Dust and dirt showered the rider. The sound that blasted the canyon walls came again sharply. The note of a horn bounded back and forth between the cliffs. Smoke sat straight, calming the stallion and listening. The horn blew again, and this time he was sure of the direction. It came in a long, sustained blast from up ahead around other turns in the trail. Smoke bent low and gigged the stud into action. He frowned as he tried to reason it out, then suddenly he spurred for still more speed. Funny I didn't figure that before, he said. Somebody's coming through with a team and wagons and they're blowing for a clear road since there's no room to turn out and pass once you're in the canyon, Nick. They rounded the next bend at a dead run 
and the blast came again. They swung to the left, the sharpest bend of all. Smoke rained back in the face of an armed rider and a long team of startled mules. His quick eye caught the movement of the young man's trigger finger inside the six-gun guard. He jerked rein and leaped to the side. The bullet sliced under his arm. The speed of his running horse carried him full upon the young man who had fired. He was too close to draw now. He caught the gun wrist and yanked the six-shooter away. The tall young rider went for his other gun, but smoke covered him. The pinto stallion reared and lunged off. He stood trembling under smoke's tight rein. Hold it, son, smoke called, till we find out if you blaze at everybody you meet so sudden without asking questions. He had a moment, in the suspended silence, to study the picture before him. The rider himself was first in his line of vision. He wore a white, ruffled shirt and a cutaway coat that was slashed back unusually far to allow the pair of guns he carried in leg holsters to be easily accessible. He wore tight gray gabardine trousers, and his black boots, in spite of the dustiness of the country, were freshly shined. He had a handsome, square-jawed face with even features. His hair was sandy straw color, trimmed long in the back and neatly clipped in the sideburns extending down to the corners of his rather weak mouth. Get him, boys. What are you waiting for? Smoke lifted his eyes to the strung-out mule team and the wagons behind them. There were two men atop the lead wagon, one on either side of the driver. They raised shotguns and held them ready to fire. I wouldn't shoot if I didn't want to blow up fancy pants here. Smoke said, and there's nothing to be gained by it. I'm no road agent. Put down that six-gun you took off Tim Zedlon, the bearded man on the driver's right ordered. Smoke moved slightly so that Tim was directly between him and the men on the wagon. I'll put it down when I'm ready, he said. Meantime, I'm curious, and I haven't had any answer from this young buck to my first question. He shifted his eyes back to Tim. Young Zelon said, You're lucky you're living, tearing at us without warning. Next time I'll take straighter aim. Next time, Smoke said, you won't have the chance. By the time we meet again, I expect I'll know my way around these parts. You ought to have blew the horn hanging on the tree at the other end of the trail before starting in the pass if you're an honest man, the driver shouted. You're probably right, friend, Smoke said. Next time I'll remember. But for you, son, he eyed the dapper young outrider, then glanced down at the gun he had taken from him. Don't start shooting at the next man you come face up to till you ask questions. He might not be so forgiven as me. Zeeland's face was dark with anger. I'll shoot at anybody that comes around to bend when we're hauling out a load of silver. He said, Yes, I expect you will, till you learn. Hand back my gun and move out of the way, young Zeeland ordered. Sure, Smoke drawled, as soon as I look over this fancy iron of yours. He studied the gun in his big hand and made a low whistling sound. Silver mounted with pearl stocks inlaid with gold. 
He handed Zeeland the gun. Zeeland sat for a moment, vibrant with anger like a plucked banjo string. Then he holstered his gun. Smoke backed his stallion off into a niche so the train would pass. Tim Zeeland hesitated as if he were going to curse him. Then he touched Spur and moved on, the purple of his rage still showing at the back of his neck. The strung-out mules and then the high-wheeled wagons passed. The men on the lead box studied smoke as they went by. When the last of the three wagons in the train had wound about the turn and gone from sight, smoke gigged the stallion and rode deeper into the canyon. It grew narrower, then it widened, and suddenly a gigantic ant hill of action spread out before him. On the left, along a bench of the canyon, a Washoe silver mill was in operation. Mules pulled carts of ore up a steep incline to the hopper above. From there came the roar of the crusher, and below, as if to punctuate that continuous sound, there was the steady bang-bang of the stamp mill, beating the crushed ore into fine powder for the mercury extraction. Beyond the Washoe mill lay the town itself. That would be Big Doctor, the refining center, and further up the canyon would lie the new strike, the mine known as Little Doctor. A haze of excitement surrounded Wade, not unlike the dust cloud that hung about the Washoe mill. It was good to be in a place where many things were going on. It'd be a lot different here from the sleepy cow towns he had ridden through on the way to Stampede Canyon. And the wedding should be quite an affair, if everyone turned out. He rode on a little further until he could look down the main street of the canyon town. There were low-frame buildings scattered along either side of the street like a set of carelessly dumped child's blocks all at different levels and distances from the road. A big tent stood at the far end of the street, and nearer, a stone and brick building loomed at the crossroads of activity. Smoke judged that would be a bank. Up ahead, a sign in red and gold surpassed all others in brilliance. Silver Queen Saloon. Dancing. Games of Chance. He rang his tongue over his dry, alkali-cracked lips. He'd have one tall, cold beer at the Silver Queen, then look up Chaz Borman and maybe meet the girl he was marrying. He thought of another Silver Queen, but that one was in Leadville. He turned his mind to the incident of the horn at the entrance of the canyon trail. Miners, prospectors, gamblers, promoters, all sauntered or lounged along the boardwalks on either side of Main Street. Three men went into the Silver Queen, and the bat-wing doors slapped shut behind them. Along Victoria, with coachmen in green uniform and a spanking chestnut team, drew up before a yellow-fronted costume store. A taffy-haired young woman with billowing blue velvet skirts was helped to the boardwalk by a tall, dark young man with manners of the Georgia gentry. Smoke raised his head with puzzled, uncertain recognition, but the couple crossed the narrow boardwalk and was gone into the shop. He shrugged and settled back in the saddle. It wouldn't be Sylvan LaRue. 
She was doing all right in Leadville last I saw of her. There was yelling up the street. Then a horse broke on a dead run around the bank corner and came down toward smoke. A young woman, her brown hair coiled tightly at the back, rode the charging beast and urged him on. Smoke almost missed the grim look on her lovely face and the Winchester rifle she carried in his admiration, for she rode the horse as if she'd been molded on him. She talked to the horse as she galloped past, and there was a desperate note in her voice. She made the bend in Main Street, raced past the Washoe Silver Mill, and the canyon enveloped her and her horse. Two men, near smoke, one gaunt and one stout, had paused at the edge of the boardwalk to watch the girl ride out of town. The heavy-set man said, If she thinks she's going to keep her man from hanging, she's crazy. They'd be doing it about now, wouldn't they? The gaunt one asked. Not till morning. I understand an outlaw named Elko gets hung tonight and her man hangs in the morning at sunup. They say the sheriff likes to let them hang a spell to make sure they're dead before burying. Smoke considered the girl. If she was riding to stop a hanging, then it must be taking place outside the canyon. At the rate she was riding, she should overtake the silver train before it passed through the neck of the canyon. Suddenly, he remembered the driver's remark on that mule train. He'd said that Smoke should have taken the horn hanging on a tree at the other end of the canyon trail and blown a blast to let others know he was coming through. Chaz Borman's written warning came back to him and increased his concern. That's mighty funny, Smoke said aloud. I didn't see any horn hanging anywhere at the other end. He reined Jake and remained motionless in thought. If a horn was there, it would be hung in a conspicuous place for any strangers that might come that way. He thought of Jake spooking at every pinnacle and bush as they entered the canyon trail. He reined Jake about abruptly and touched spurs to him. They turned up a cloud of dust as smoke put him into a hard run back the way they had come. The fact that he had seen no horn seemed significant. If a gang of road agents were planning to hold up the silver load, they could hide the horn and block the pass by letting traffic from the outer end go in and jam the trail. He entered the narrow canyon trail with the stud at a dead run and the canyon closed in about him. They made four more bends. A bullet slashed by, struck rock at Jake's feet, and screamed off. The sound of the shot came from above. He heard more gunfire up ahead in the narrowest part of the trail. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Stampede Canyon. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.